Um, I don't have a particular text for the morning. In fact, if you're one of those perceptive individuals that actually reads the bulletin or uh, looks at the handout ahead of time or whatever, you might find uh, we're going to do something a little bit um, different today. There's a new mission statement on the uh, on the bulletin. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and we're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna walk you through this here this morning. So it's gonna be a lot of text. It's gonna be a lot of Bible, but there's not one particular text that we're gonna be in. So I'd love I'd love to get the Bibles out. If you if you need one, raise your hand. Did we already do that? Did I? We're good. Okay. Um, then guys, before I, I I get going into this, I would I would love to pray. God, it's amazing. It's it's amazing to to hear your your word recited from the heart by memory. People that are are storing up, are treasuring your word, and and desiring it to to permeate into the depths of their being and. infiltrate their soul and their heart and comfort and nourish bring nutrient and now we we can see why Paul would end a lot of his letters just saying read this out loud <laughs> gather together and read my letters just hearing your word just hearing your word read or recited comforts me has an incredible power when your spirit accompanies it and ministers it to us. God, we want to get more into your word here this morning, right now. And Jesus, we're, we're asking for your guidance. We're asking for your help. We're asking for your illuminating power your sanctifying power, your regenerating power. We're asking for the power of the risen Jesus Christ to be present in our midst. And God, as I try to unfold a new mission and, and vision statement, I, I ask God that um, you would help me. You would help me to be effective. I pray everybody in this room sees that it is not about me crafting a statement. It's about trying to be in line with as much of the Bible's mission given to us by God as we can. And so I ask God that you would help me to get out of the way this morning and that you would uh, speak through me to these people that I know you love so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so it's, it's a new year, right? And um, we're having our first members meeting of this new year. And I thought, you know, what better time to introduce a, a new mission and uh, vision statement or new mission and visions, vision statements. Um, it is, don't worry, I don't have a uh, anything uh, against the previous statement that's not 
it at all. That's like the Great Commission, disciples making disciples. There's nothing wrong. I love that statement. Um, but as I was um, thinking about, you know, developing members class and other things, I just thought, you know, I, I have a personal mission and vision statement that I wrote about five years ago for myself. It's been guiding me ever since and it's been powerful for me. And I would love, as I'm developing members class for this church, I would love to, to bring this to you. I would love for this to be the mission and vision of our church here and start to define us, start to get into our life blood, start to penetrate into the soul of, of this church. And again, it's not contrary to disciples making disciples. It actually just kind of fleshes that out maybe a little bit more. What does it look like to make disciples? And you kind of see that as we go on and as I explain what these, these, these new statements are. As I was thinking and praying, okay, is this the time to do that? Why should I do that? It was the members class that made, made me start thinking, okay, a mission and vision statement is, is really important. It's a fundamental thing. It's kind of inviting you into, here is what we are all about. And I just, if I'm going to be teaching these things or bringing people through these things, I, I would love to, for it to be something that I'm personally fired up about explaining. Something that I, I, I want to direct them to a message I've preached and other things like that. And, and, and say, this is what it means to be on mission with this church. And this is where we're headed. So, I... Um, Brought this idea to the elders first about a month and a half ago. Um, brought these statements in and told them, and uh, and they said, "All right, let's bring it to the central leaders, uh, which essentially composes the elders and deacons and some other key leaders." Gave it to them, and we talked, and they they helped kind of clarify some areas for me that might need a little bit more explanation or whatever, and. Um, Ultimately, they gave me the green light to present it here today. And I wanted to do it today, particularly because of the members meeting after. So you could ask questions if you want or whatever. It just seems like a time to say, hey, we, we as a church, what are we all about? Let's gather together and think, what are the members of this church on mission for? And I wanted to bring this um, to you here this morning. But before I read the new mission statement, let me um, ask you, a question, why, why do you think Mercy Hill, or any church for that matter, needs a mission or vision statement at all? What's the point? We're just kind of being corporate at this point. We're taking our cues from the executive world where they, you know, this is what they tell us to do is make goals and make a mission and, and get everybody on board with it. Is that what we're doing? And, I mean, there's some wisdom there, but but really, let, let me show you from the scriptures uh, an, an image that, that kind of helps us understand why a mission or vision statement is important at all. First Corinthians 14.8. You don't have to turn there. It's not, it's not, uh, we're not going to, you know, sit there very long. But um, it's a text that sometimes you hear people go to to kind of defend what's the, what's the reason for a mission? What's the reason for a vision statement? Uh, this is what Paul says. The context is different, but the principle is the same. He says, if the trumpet gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? Sit with me there. Just a second. If the trumpet gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? Here's the idea. Back in the day, 
It wasn't, it wasn't walkie-talkies and little earpieces that you gathered your people together on the fields of war. It was actually with a trumpet. Okay? It was with the blast of a trumpet. And a certain sound would make your troops kind of assemble. And another blast from it would make them charge or retreat. It was how you were able to mobilize a, a, a larger group of people. You didn't just go, guys, let's go! And you got a big, huge thing. So if, if they don't understand what the blast means, if that trumpet makes an indistinct sound... You're just going to have chaos. You're not going to have unity, mobilization. You're not going to have victory in the war. But if that trumpet makes a sound and everyone knows what it means, everyone's on that mission together, then you have unity. You have, you have this mobilized effort that, 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 that moves and marches together towards one driving ultimate goal. So the mission and vision statements here that I'm going to present are my attempt at a distinct trumpet sound, trumpet blast, okay, to gather us together so we know this is what we're doing, this is why we're here, this is what we're all about. What I'm going to do, and you can probably see it in your handout there, is I'll take us through the new mission statement. That's going to take the majority of our time. Then I'm just going to just going to basically read the new vision statement, and then I'll bring both together for us at the at the close. Majority of our time is going to be spent here with the new mission statement, and I, I have. Uh, slides and also the the graphics if you notice they're on the back of your handout I wanted to try to make it as as, as memorable um, as uh, understandable as possible forgive me if the graphic it it never looks the way it does on my computer and I don't know why uh, it's so small so you probably can't see it but it is on the back and that'll start to make sense as we go here's the new mission statement let me read it to you Mercy Hill Church exists to adore, manifest, and proclaim the glory of God as revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I just want to read it one more time to you, and then we'll unpack it. Mercy Hill Church exists to adore, manifest, and proclaim the glory of God as revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the new statement functions like a chain, okay? With, with each link kind of adding something more to it. And, 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 and what I want to do is kind of take the links one by one so that we kind of get a, a better sense of, 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 of the, the grand mission um, as a whole by the time we're done. But what I'm going to do is actually begin not with where the, where, the, where the statement begins, with the verbs, adore, manifest, and proclaim. I'm actually going to begin with the objects of those verbs, okay? Namely... The glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to take those one by one. So first, the glory of God. Before I can even uh, go anywhere with this, we need to set, we need to settle in our minds what the glory of God even is. It's a word that we use a lot, right? God's glory, but do we even know what it really means? I would put it this way, and I'll, I'll make the case for this in a moment. The glory of God is best understood as the radiance or outshining of all his perfections. 
It is the beauty of all that God is put on display. You hear that? So let, let, me, let me show you this. When Moses asks that daring question, do you remember, you remember what he asks God in Exodus 33:18? It's a frightening thing. He says, "Please show me your glory." I read that again and I was like, at least he says please, you know. <laughs> at least he knows his like, please show me your glory. What does God do? Does God's glory at that point just mean that he's going to, when he shows it to Moses, it just means Moses is going to see some bright, indiscernible light and, and that's kind of his glory. It's some weird, amorphous thing. No. Here's what, here's what happens. How does God show Moses his glory? glory this is what he does exodus 34 6 and 7 he 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 puts moses in the cleft of the rock and he passes by him and he says he he declares his name to him so showing moses his glory means telling moses something about himself it means putting his perfections on display for moses to see or hear not just a bright light but that bright light illuminating the glory or the, the, the attributes and perfections of God. Here's what he says. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. That is what God says His glory is. Pass by, I'll tell you something about myself. Now do you see my glory? I am gracious and loving and forgiving, but I'm also holy and just and righteous. So when, when Moses asks to see God's glory, he sees something about God's character, something about who God is, is being put on display. Now, we move from this. The Bible leaves no room for confusion. All things that exist, exist for God's glory. Everything that exists, exists to put God on display, say to tell us something about who he is. This is true of all creation, right? I, I, I reference this text a lot because I love it. Psalm 19.1, the heavens are what? Declaring the glory of God. The, the creation is telling us something about him. And then in Romans 1.20, Paul tells us a little bit more about what those heavens are declaring. He says this. It's telling us that in His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and His divine nature. These are the things we start to perceive through what has been made. Creation telling us something about Him, existing for His glory. And it's especially true of humanity. It's true of creation. 
They, all creation exists for His glory. It's especially true of human beings, the capstone of His creation, if you will. We exist for His glory. This is the meaning in Genesis 1 that we've been created in the image of God. That's what it means to be human, is to image Him, to reflect Him, to show Him, to bring glory to Him. We exist for His glory. This is why you could sum it all up and drive it home with something David says in First Chronicles 29.11. Hear this. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is Yours. You knew that by heart, man? All right. That was good. She was was lipping the words back there. That's awesome. Yeah. Everything is yours and exists for your glory. Creation in general, man in particular, everything for him. Telling us something about him. Now, this isn't going to be a, a biblical language class here, but... This is, this is interesting. Um, in the underlying Greek and Hebrew words that are translated glory in, in our English versions, uh, when we look at them closely, it's interesting. And an image actually emerges that really helps us understand what I'm saying here. Because in the Greek, doxa, uh, glory, the, 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 the sense of that word is shining, is, is, is radiance, okay? Like I've just been saying. But in the Hebrew, kavod, really interesting, it can have the sense of weight, heaviness, which perhaps is why when God's glory shows up, oftentimes what do people do? They do fall. <laughs> There's something weighty about His glory, something heavy about it. I wonder if you're on to the the image that that I think is is coming into view here. Because His glory is not just radiant, not just shining, but heavy and massive. Now, what is emerging, but I think a picture of the sun, right? In our solar system, if you will. Where it is bright, burning light. And yet also heavy and weighty. So heavy that it pulls all the planets in our solar system into orbit around itself. Get into orbit around me. This is the picture I think we're given when we consider the glory of God. Is that He is this bright and shining being and this weighty and awesome being so that Everything comes into orbit around Him, who He is. It exists for Him. You could say He is the Son of Sons, right? The Son, not just at the center of the solar system, but of the universe, pulling every star everywhere around Himself. Everything that exists, exists for him and ought to be orbiting around him. I want our church, I want our church to be orbiting around his glory, right? 
to be all about His glory. We want to show Him. And that's the reason for messages like the one I preached last time. I want to be a curtain boy for Him. I want Him to be seen. We're telling things about Him. We don't want a church that's, you know, doing good stuff, trying to make a name for itself in the community or among our peers. We want a church like, like Paul and Barnabas. I mean, check this out. This is awesome. When they're in Lystra and, and the people see them doing great things for Jesus, they actually want to start worshiping them. They want to start saying, whoa, you are great, Paul and Barnabas. And here's what they say. This is Acts 14, 15. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Do you hear that? Why are you looking at us? This ain't about us. We are doing these things so hopefully you will see and come back into orbit around the God you were created for. See Him, not me. The glory of God. Now, we'll move into as revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's hard, right? There's something in our original nature that, that resists coming into orbit around God. That resists <laughs> living to see and show Him. Is it I want the seat of honor. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, show you and have others see you. I want to be seen. I want to show off. I want to be the one praised. We resist falling into orbit around Him. We go the way of the serpent, right? Genesis 3, 5. I want to be like God. It's where Adam and Eve went. I don't want to orbit. I want to go off over here and maybe get something, some orbit going of my own. I want other people around me. I want to sit on His seat. This is the big problem in the universe. I know we have a lot of secondary, subordinate problems in our lives. This is the biggest one. This is the big one in the universe. This is why things are falling apart the way that they are. Paul describes it in Romans 1.22 this way. We exchanged the glory of the immortal God. We see it. We know it's good. But we don't want to honor Him. We don't want to humble ourselves. We exchange that glory, His glory, for something else. We trade it like something cheap, like something detestable, like something worthless. And we go after a glory of our own. It's the big problem. Here's what happens. In my attempt to shine bright, and my own strength, from my own glory, I end up just spiraling off into darkness somewhere in outer space. You ever watch those those 
those movies where like the astronauts out there and then suddenly his like cord or whatever is disconnected and he's just like, oh my gosh, I'm gone. This is what a lot of our lives are being lived like as we try to make a name for ourselves, get our own glory and exchange his for something else. Instead of filling the earth with God's image, with his glory, here's what happens. We end up filling the earth with sin, guilt, shame, and death. So Adam, it appears from Genesis 1 and 3, as, as far as I can read, was, was to step up into the glory of God. He was to pass this probationary period and move into eating from the tree of life and enjoying some eternal life uh, in, in the presence of, of God's glory. Okay, He was to step up towards that. But instead, he failed, spiraled down. And so what happens? God, not being one to give up, right? Sends his glory down. Ultimately, in the person of Jesus Christ, the son of sons, the one around whom everything orbits, becomes the son of Man. This is why it's said of Jesus, He is the radiance of the glory of God. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's Hebrews 1 3, 2 Corinthians 4 3. You want to see God's glory? It came down in Jesus, it's seen in His face. He's come to bring man back into orbit around God. But in order to do that, he's going to have to be thrown out into the darkness. He's going to be almost kicked out, expunged out of the universe he upholds by his creatures. I'm going to talk about the exchange you remember when, 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 when I think it's Pontius Pilate was saying, who should I deliver, Barabbas or Jesus? Give us Barabbas. We don't want God or His glory. Get Him out of here. Crucify Him. That's where the Son would go. Because He'd have to pay. He would have to take on Himself the consequence for our sin. Guilt. Shame. He would take upon Himself the curse Hell, on that cross. But, intriguingly, stay with me here, it's at the cross, the place of His agony, the place of His utter shame, that we also see the brightest display of God's glory. We actually see, in this place of utter shame, the brightest display of God's glory. Let me read to you something that I, I, I came across. I'd saved it from uh, John Piper. And at this point in my preparation, I was like, no way. This is exactly where I'm going. And he's even recount. He's climbing up the ladder of my previous arguments to make the point I'm trying to make right now. So let me just read this to you. Where should our mind focus in order to know God most fully and deeply? We could focus on nature because the heavens are telling the glory of God. We could learn something about God there. We could focus on the human soul, for we are made in the image of God. 
We could focus on the life of Christ because He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. He's quoting all the same texts I've quoted. Or, and here He goes, we could come to the event where more of God is revealed than any other event in history. Namely, the death of His Son. All other revelations of God in Christ are like rays of sun breaking through the clouds. But the death of Christ for sinners was like a bolt of lightning. You hear what he's saying? Where do you go to see the glory of God on fullest display? Where do you go? It's not the place you would think. You actually go to the place of his deepest shame. You go to the cross if you want to see the glory of God. Let me explain how this works. When you see, when you walk up Calvary's road and watch Him die, you know what you see? You see that the Almighty One is gentle. And, and, and He comes down to the lowly. That the, the high and lofty One, right? comes down to, to nurture the broken, to save sinners like me. You see that the, the holy and the righteous one, the just one who can look upon no sin with favor, is also gracious and loving and merciful and doesn't rejoice in the death of the wicked, but, but that they would come to repentance and salvation. I mean, that, that glory that, that God declared to Moses... I love to forgive, but I'm holy. I mean, that, that holds together in high definition at the cross of Jesus Christ. So he's saying, this is the reason for in my statement, the glory of God is best revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ not only provides for us the clearest display of God's glory, it makes a way back for, for us to that glory. Did you hear that? We're not just looking at it out there. It's an open door to come back. Come back into orbit around Him. That's what Jesus does for us. He makes a way back to the glory. This is the big solution to the big problem. The big problem, I exchange His glory for my own. The big solution, He takes my sin, exchanges that in me with His righteousness. One exchange, detestable. His exchange, glory of His grace. My sin for His righteousness. And I'm coming back into orbit. This is why as a church, I want to be a gospel-centered church. We've got to be a gospel-centered church or we're just wasting our time. If we lose the reality that the glory of God is, 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 is revealed through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we lose everything. We lose our point for being Let's stay gospel-centered. Now, we're going to crawl back up to those, um, to those uh, action verbs, beginning with adore. 
Because when we see it, when we see, when we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, when we see Him revealed, and, 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 and this mercy, this love that He has shown to us, you want to know what happens? You want to know what should happen if we really see it? We fall in love. We fall in love with the God who first loved us, right? First John 4.19 We love because He first loved us. Or, to paraphrase Jesus' point in Luke 7.47 He who is forgiven much loves much. That's the woman and her tears and, and just say, sitting at Jesus' feet, right? If you've been forgiven much and you see it, you know your sin on His back, His righteousness given to you by grace, you're coming back to glory. You see that? Forgiven much, you're going to love Him much. Adoration, you guys, that's we adore we adore the glory of God as it is revealed to us in Jesus Christ. We love, we cherish, we worship all that God is for us in His Son. We might have different ideas about what Christianity is all about. Some of us might 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 be inclined to think it's more about kind of the doctrine and and it's more like a university. Some of us might think it's about community. We're, we're a family and, 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 and we, we get together. It's more like a, kind of like a country club or something. We have good friends here. Others might, might, might think, oh, it's about the philanthropy and, the, the, and, the, and the, the community service and going out and doing something good for people, like a nonprofit or a charity. And, and gosh, don't, don't mishear me. Christianity is, is deeply concerned with the intellectual, with, with the, the communal, with the missional. All those things are important. But before it is any of that, it's a love affair with a holy God who sent His glory down in love for us. Before it is any of that other stuff, it is this right here. You and me. And some of the some of the homeboys in this room are saying, "Oh, this is this is a little weird. Affection and love and adoration. You know, I'm I'm good at the work. Give me some chairs to set up. I'll get her done. That's what guys want to do. And we this affection thing. I don't know. And that has to change. This is the starting place. And not just because I say it is. You've got to hear Jesus on the matter. Some, some, I think it's a Sadducee comes to him and says, what's the greatest commandment in all the law? What is it? If you were to sum up what the greatest commandment is in the whole Old Testament, what would you say? This is Jesus' answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That's Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. It is a command. He boils it down basically to a command to be infatuated with God. You ever thought about that? Love Him. All your mind. All your heart. 
all your soul, everything in you erupting with delight in Him. I want to be a church that does everything from the love for God. We know the love He has shown to us. Gosh, like we heard with, with the, 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 you know, the texts in Romans that Josh was quoting, this love for enemies even. And we say, wow. Love comes back up towards Him, right? And in all that we do, we're driven by that. But, It only begins here, right? It only begins with adoration. We don't just kind of stay in our little holy huddle, singing our songs, raising our hands, and crying our tears, and and, and nothing really changes. Nothing really makes its way out of our lives. This is why the second, second action verb flows from adoration. We start to manifest. I'll get to what that means here. But things start to change. If my heart is really set on fire for Him... I can't contain the flames. I can't keep them from breaking out into my life. It's going to start coming out onto the street and you're going to start seeing it in my actions. A vital dynamic is initiated at this point. As I see Christ's glory, okay, as I see His glory as revealed to me in the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and as I fall in love with Him, I find I can't take my eyes off of him. I mean, you've been feeling like you're just, you're just tossed around like somebody nobody wants. And then all of a sudden you realize the God of the universe comes down and loves you. I mean, that changes everything, right? And you're looking at him. You're saying, no way. And then you want to know what happens as you're beholding him more and more and embracing this love and loving him back. You start to change too. You start to look more and more like Him in the way you're living. This is what Paul is after in 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, and I'll add, because he does later, in the face of Jesus Christ, we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Hear this? We're beholding His glory. It's in the face of Jesus Christ, the gospel that's brought to us, what He's done. And as we're beholding, we start to be changed ourselves into His image. The image of God that Adam marred is regained in Christ. Okay? It's regained and advanced, perfected in Christ. And as we look at Him and His Spirit comes back to us, we are transformed more and more to look like Him. We start to manifest the glory of God as it's revealed in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. People may be looking at me, but they start to see Him. It's what it means to fall back in orbit and my life for His glory. They're seeing Him. And even more specifically, they start to see the cross in me. They start to see the gospel. Hear this in Paul as an example. 2 Corinthians 4, 8-12. through This is what he says about his life and his ministry now that Jesus got a hold of him. We're afflicted 
in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So, verse 12, death is at work in us, but life in you. Do you hear this? Do you hear this? I know I'm having to go faster all this. It's hard. I understand that. But do you hear this? He is saying that the gospel is starting to erupt from my life. That I may be weak and lowly. I look like the cross. I'm dying. And yet the resurrection power is also present. I'm alive. I'm overcoming. I'm strong. These are the things going on in me. They're being manifested in my life. And it's all, it's all constrained by the principle of love for others. That's how he comes out in verse 12. So, death is at work in us, but life in you. Just like Jesus died so I might live. All of a sudden, as we're beholding His love for us, we start to find ourselves laying our lives down so that others can live, can know Him. We start putting ourselves, taking up our cross, right? Following Jesus. We're up there now for others. Start to manifest the glory of God as it's revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in our own lives, we're, tr- we're changed, we're transformed. The resurrection life of Christ in us empowers us to walk the crucifixion road for others. You hear that? So let's not be fooled. Real adoration, real adoration will always evidence itself in manifestation. Okay? Just kind of stay here and just love on Him. If you love me, it's going to show, right? This is what Jesus says, and we'll, we'll end this point with, with this text here. John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, what does He say? You'll write me love songs and, and, and you know, <laughs> cry a little bit at worship. Or, and I say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's going to start coming out in your life. And what is the commandment he's talking about? He, he gives it to us in a few verses later. John, 14, or John 15, 12 and 13. This is my commandment. Get ready. That you love one another as I have loved you. And here he goes. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. If you love me, you're going to start looking like the cross. Do you want a church full of people like that? Do you want a church full of people like that manifesting the gospel in our lives? That's what I called way back a cross culture, a cruciform community. 
I want that. Jesus wants that. Let's move on. The accent in manifest is upon deeds. It's upon a changed life, a changed heart from the inside out. But the process doesn't end there, right? It doesn't end there. We see glory in God as it's revealed to us in the gospel. We savor it. We start to show it in our lives. But, but, we also start to speak of it. It starts to come out in our words, deeds and words. We proclaim the glory of God as revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I put proclamation after manifestation because so often in the church, you guys, we can, we can be so ready to proclaim the gospel with people we're not prepared to manifest it to. We can, we can speak the gospel to people we're not ready to really show it to. Does it make sense? I want us, I want us in love for God to move out in, in a cruciform love for others. And that's what drives our speaking the gospel. So that we're not denying with our lives what we're proclaiming with our lips. Make sense? I want to be like, again, I just keep bringing back Paul. Galatians 6, 17. This is what he says in his ministry. I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Galatians, you doubt that I love you? You're questioning my gospel? I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. I love you. And you see the gospel, not just in my message, but on my back. It's essential. Deeds flowing into words. Essential. But words are equally essential. So many other places I wanted to go here. But I'll just say this. It is not truly loving if we show and show and show, manifest and manifest and manifest the gospel and never speak, proclaim it to them. Paul makes the case plainly, Romans 10, you know where I'm going probably, verse 14, how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. Hear what he's saying. It is not, it is not preach the gospel and when necessary use words. If you've heard that, I'm sorry. We manifest the gospel in our lives so that we can get the words to them, so that we get an audience, so that as they see our good deeds, they start to glorify God, Peter would say. They ask us for the hope that's in us. I want to know what's changing you. So proclamation of the gospel is critical. And I want to be a church. If we truly love, we're not just going to show. We're going to tell them. We're going to tell them. This is why we're changed. This is how you come back into orbit. I want to be a church that that doesn't tire of proclaiming the gospel, not only to those out there, but even to one another here. I need to hear it. 
You need to hear it. Let's not tire of, of, of speaking it. Be a gospel-centered church in all layers of that meaning. No. Closer look at the, the action verbs in our statement actually provides us with an acronym. Okay? You've got adore, manifest, and proclaim. I didn't capitalize the letters because I, I, it was a typo. There's an acronym I'm after that, that, that establishes an image that might help us remember um, where I'm going, where I think, where I hope and pray we're going together. A-M-P, AMP. In other words, we as a church, Mercy Hill, exists to amplify the glory of God as revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You could call it gospel amplification. How do we turn up the volume on His glory? How do we amplify His glory? How do we show the world? By adoring, manifesting, and proclaiming. So we amplify all that He is. That's how we turn up the volume so others can hear. Now, vision statement, and I'll start to draw things to a close. It's my understanding, just through a few Google searches, that a mission statement is more or less um, kind of the marching orders. Okay? It's, 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 it's kind of lays down the beat for, for what we're marching to down here on the ground. Or, you, you understand what I'm saying? So we are adoring, manifesting, proclaiming the glory of God as revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing. It answers the question, what are we as a church doing? The vision statement gets a little bigger picture here. It answers the question, okay, so we're doing all this. This is our mission. Where are we going What's the, what's the end game of this mission? What is the, the, the ultimate outcome that we're aiming for in all of this? For this, I, I basically just lifted the vision statement out of Habakkuk 2.14. But the, the same idea shows up in Numbers 14.21, Psalm 72.19, Isaiah 11.9, because this is God's vision for the world. This is where He's going. I want to make sure I'm on His mission and going towards His vision. And I'm pretty sure He's telling me, okay, you're on track. Let me put the vision at the end of the mission statement since they go together. Mercy Hill Church exists to adore, manifest, and proclaim the glory of God as revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the vision. Until that glory fills the earth as the water covers the sea. Did you hear that? As the waters cover the sea. So we're doing all of this, 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 this amplification, and we're going towards that glory filling everything. This is what God says He's doing. This is how the book of Revelation ends. This is what the New Jerusalem is. It is a world of glory. He says this, Revelation 21, 23, and 24. 
The city, New Jerusalem, has no need of a sun or moon to shine on it. The picture, the image, the parable that is the sun at the center of our universe, gone. Because His glory will be the center of the new heavens and new earth. And He says, For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. Glory of God is revealed in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. God and Lamb shining. New heavens, new earth. And verse 24, By its light will the nations walk. I'm going to show you how the two work together real quick. And this is where I have the second image. And this is, this is where we'll end. There's a dynamic between the mission and vision. There's, a, there's something that's kind of established here that I want you to see. As we, okay, mission, as we adore and manifest, proclaim the glory of God as revealed in the gospel, as we're living our lives that way, we love Him, we show Him, we speak of Him. You know what happens? It's coming out. And then others, others, as we're telling them, this is what we found. This is what we found. God may be pleased to lift that veil. And then they see in, in the preached word, in the proclaimed word, in the gospel message, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And they come to adore him, start to manifest Him, and want to tell their family and their friends about Him. And that just keeps going out and back in, out and back in. And it forms a sort of, to keep up the image with the sound, uh, it forms a sort of reverb. It's this kind of echoing and resounding and getting louder and filling more and more and more. I love, I show, I speak. Now you see Him. You love, you show, you speak. And this is just going and going and going until the world becomes covered, filled. The world is coterminous with God's glory. In other words, you could say you could sum up the whole mission and vision this way. We're about gospel amplification for gospel reverberation. We fill everything. Alright? Well, that's it for me. A mission and vision, I think, stands as a summary of the mission and vision that God has laid out. What, what Adam was to do in filling the earth with glory that he lost, Christ regains. And in the Great Commission, gives it to us. It's what we're doing. Making disciples, conforming them into his image so that it's filling, right? Turning the world, partnering with God to turn the world to glory. That's my trumpet sound. That's my blast. And I, I pray you can hear it. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we, we are aiming for, we want to be on your mission, heading towards your vision. God, you have redeemed us. You've shown us your love. Stir in our hearts affection, adoration. Transform us from the inside out. And God, give us boldness to speak to others so that we can partner with you by your grace.
power of your spirit in turning the world to glory until this world is filled with the knowledge of your glory like the waters cover the sea. God, may we never think, may we never think that in heaven we forget about the cross of Jesus Christ. I don't think we forget about it. We actually see more of it. We see more of the glory that you have not only revealed God's glory to us there, but made a way for us back to his glory there. And around the throne in heaven, we will praise not just Jesus, but the Lamb forever. Christ, be center of this church, center of my heart, center of my life. Be seen in me, seen by me. I pray you'd bring this church back into orbit around yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.